For the third week in a row in our study of the Bible book of Daniel, history and prophecy dominate our broadcast here today on Search for Truth. Search for Truth is your Bible teaching programme with teacher Brian Johnston, you'll remember. And in today's talk, Brian's looking in more depth at prophecy in Daniel with particular reference to the mention of 77s in chapter 9. So if you wish to follow... Turn to Daniel chapter 9, and I'll hand over now to Brian. Thank you. Thanks, John. After straddling an overnight change of world empire and facing a den full of lions and then absorbing the appalling apocalyptic visions, Daniel has probably by now entered the role of being an elder statesman. We arrive now at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. So, Daniel has one day, in his daily devotions, opened the Bible book of Jeremiah the prophet and is arrested, not by people spying on him in secret this time, but by the Spirit of God. For Daniel has just discovered that in God's prescribed will, the discipline of his people, even their banishment away from Jerusalem, would be for a 70-year term. What excites him is that he now realises that the time is up. He turns this fresh information into passionate prayer. Daniel, the man of desirability in God's eyes, having been stopped in his tracks when reading his Bible, now turns his Bible reading into what seems like a breathless, staccato prayer. From verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications, And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Your desolate sanctuary, he says. It had been 50 years since a temple last stood at Jerusalem, and 70 years since the deportation of God's people began, and more than that since Daniel's compatriots had first begun to spurn God's laws. But I want to show you that, though the Babylonians may have succeeded in taking the man of God away from the house of God, the Babylonians and Persians had spectacularly failed to take God's house away from God's man. What do I mean by that? Allow me to explain. Daniel's daily schedule of timekeeping is still being regulated by the timetable of the altar belonging to God's house at Jerusalem, the one which by this time had been demolished at least 50 years before. What's even more revealing is the fact that his undistracted thoughts are overshadowed by the spectre of the desolate sanctuary. And his outlook is ever through the open window of his prayer chamber, a window strategically opened toward the place of God's name at Jerusalem. Let me show you where I'm getting that from, because it's made such an impression on me that I really want to share it with you. 
Daniel, we read, went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. That you find in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. And in Daniel chapter 9, we hear him praying from verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. By way of application, may I ask, if it were you in a minority of one against the world, would you retain your convictions about God and his house and what it means to be in a New Testament church of God? Finally, let's now consider what Gabriel went on to tell Daniel. God has shared with Daniel in chapters 2 and 7 his plan for the Gentile world at large in terms of the four great successive empires from the time of the 6th century BC right through until the time of Christ's return to earth to set up his kingdom. In chapter 9 of Daniel, God now shares with his servant his plan for Daniel's own people, for the Jewish people. Gabriel now tells Daniel, from verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are now to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war desolations are determined and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate the 70 weeks we've been reading about are literally 70 sevens where each seven is a unit of seven years So this is a total of 70 times 7, or 490 prophetic years. 69 of them, all but the last one, stretch from the restoration of the city by the completion of its wall by Nehemiah in 444 BC, right the way through to the cross of Christ in AD 33. We've no time to explain the precision of that timing, but do check it out for yourself. At the cross where God's people rejected their Messiah, it was as if God stopped the prophetic clock with one week or one final seven-year period left to run. Daniel's clock starts ticking again when a leader who will dominate the world signs a seven-year deal to guarantee the security of Israel's borders. This is what we read. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. The mention there of people is seemingly a reference to the Roman people under Titus, who destroyed Jerusalem and its temple in AD 70. 
So the prince who is to come seems at first to be a Roman prince or a latter-day Caesar, that is, a mid-European leader. Sure, the last emperor abdicated in AD 476 and then power passed to the Roman Catholic Church, its popes crowning many holy Roman emperors. The Eastern Empire continued much longer into the 15th century. But we need to ask, how secure is this identification of Daniel's fourth kingdom with the Roman Empire? What has led many to that conclusion? Well, in addition to the ethnicity of the people of the prince, as mentioned, there are the two legs of the statue, feasibly picturing the western and eastern division of the Roman Empire, together with allusions in the book of Revelation to the city which reigns and the seven mountains, often taken as pointing to the Roman city of the seven hills, which was the dominant city at the time of the Apostle John when he was writing. But there are other ways of looking at these things. A closer investigation actually reveals something potentially very significant. The Roman soldiers under Titus' command in AD 70 were not Italians or Europeans. Tacitus, the historian, tells us that Titus, the general, found three legions in Judea, added one from Syria and two others from Alexandria, to which was added a strong contingent of Arabs. Josephus likewise agrees it was an army dominated by provincials. The troops then were the ancestors of modern-day inhabitants of the Middle East, mainly Syrians and Turks, and not Europeans. Josephus adds the ethnic legions were out of control, their passions too hard for the regards they had for Caesar. Thus was the holy house burnt down without Caesar's approbation. Josephus writes that in his book, The War of the Jews. If then the Islamic Caliphate can be considered a contender for Daniel's fourth empire, with a rival claim to that of the Roman Empire, then we pause to note that division has characterised Islam from Muhammad's time into the 15% Shia and the 85% Sunnis. Could these, in fact, be the two legs of Daniel's image? While the Islamic Caliphate ruled previously in history for 1300 years, ending in 1924 with the secular Turkish reformer Ataturk, the Roman Empire's borders remained mostly 500 miles west of Babylon, which is somewhat awkward as Daniel's vision was otherwise a Babylon-centric vision. Moreover, the Islamic Caliphate was a crushing empire, as is the fourth empire in the Bible's depiction. So there are arguments which make this alternative speculation worth considering at least. Turning to today and the revival before our eyes of the whole concept of the Islamic Caliphate, its leaders have combined two of the most powerful ideas in Islam, the return of the Islamic Empire and the end of the world, and they fused them into a mission and a message that shapes its overall strategy and inspires its army of zealous and ruthless fighters, all of which might mean that the gruesome imagery of Revelation chapter 17, where we see a woman astride a fearsome beast, represents a literally Babylon-centric Islam controlling a mid-eastern Muslim empire whose reign of terror will be felt even across Europe.
Or maybe it's a hybrid picture implicating apostate Christendom and involving Europe directly, Chrislam influencing Eurabia, as some have termed it. The Islamic State, with its preferred mode of execution being beheading, and its crescent moon symbolism fits well with what we read of it in the Bible's last apocalyptic book of Revelation, which largely focuses on what will happen on earth during Daniel's 70th seven, that one that's still future. World religion appears to be heading back to its roots in a Babylonian-style moon god religion. If you've been following these talks, I suppose you'll have noticed that there's so much detail in Brian's studies that if you want to do a follow-up study of your own, it's almost essential to have the text of the talks in book form. And the hard copy book for this series is available to you by asking for the title Daniel Decoded. You can order by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. I'm sorry, but we have to leave you shortly, but many thanks for your interest and company. It's been great to have you. Next week, Brian looks into Daniel chapter 10 and the awesome power of prayer, as well as some more history and prophecy. It promises to be very interesting, so join us if you can. But for now, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you. <laughs>